This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. A quick update about this show. We decided to start publishing once a week now rather than every day. We will still cover every critical decision about reopening or locking down in Washington State. But we are switching to this format because we feel like the basics have pretty much already been communicated. Wear your mask, socially distance. Yes, we've all done our best to acclimate to this new normal. And with a weekly episode, we can spend more time on bigger stories, they're a little more complex, and try to make sense of them together. First up on that list... There's new proof that President Trump downplayed the severity of the coronavirus during the early months of the outbreak. Journalist Bob Woodward writes in his new book that the president knew in early February the virus was deadly and vastly more serious than the flu, despite telling the public otherwise. The Washington Post released audio of Woodward's interview with the president on February 7th. This is 10 days after top national security advisors warned him about the virus. You know, it's a very tricky situation. It's, uh, it, it, goes, it goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air, and that's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your... You know, your, even your strenuous flus. But that is not what he was telling the American people at the time. President Trump was still saying the virus was no worse than a seasonal flu. He predicted it would soon disappear and said the country had it under control. It took him several more weeks before publicly acknowledging the virus was more severe than the flu and also airborne. He explained to Woodward why he didn't warn people sooner. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you, sure, I want you to. I be. wanted to, uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. That recording took place on March nineteenth, days after the president had declared a national emergency over the virus. Speaking from the White House yesterday, the president defended those remarks and his response to the pandemic. The last thing we can show is panic or excitement or fear or anything else we had to take care of the we had to take care of the situation we were given he also called woodward's book a hit job where does this leave us now dave well there's a lot of polling being done and i think it's reflected in the polling that a lot of people of both parties are disappointed with the president's reaction to the virus of course this is all i have to say in partial defense this is all hindsight a lot of people including our own governor uh, didn't know exactly how bad this was going to be. And uh, I've already said in a commentary, all right, suppose the president had said back in February that uh, this was terrible, we've got to close down the economy. At that time, the national the national death rate per day was three people, three people. Would people have accepted being told to stay home from work, not go to school, uh, leave their college dorms, because of a, a disease that was killing three people a day. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Let me let me play this soundbite from, from Governor Inslee, because a lot of critics are pointing to this, saying that, yes, Inslee's messaging was similar to the president's in the very beginning. He explained why he didn't want to shut down the state sooner. It seems intuitive that earlier would be better, but the public health experts have told me if you do it too early, you lose the public's support, and you want the public's support right in the meat of the epidemic. All right, so that's pretty much what, what you're saying, Dave, right there. The, the difference, though, I think, is the actions that were taken rather than what was said. 
Um, we know that the president for months was not forceful about the mask mandate. Um, he was not in favor of shutting down governments. I mean, as recently as a couple of months ago, he's saying, let's get back to school. Let's get back to school. Yes. Here in Washington, we took a vastly different approach. A lot of other states took different approaches, um, not knowing what the president knew. Yes. And the question, I mean, we'll find out in the election who gets rewarded for that. The The problem with any kind of prevention effort is that if you succeed, it looks like you overreacted, right? Every single time. Mm-hmm. Any kind of prevention effort. And this this transcends the virus. This is this is anything from you know trying to pre- prevent a war to trying to keep people from getting sick and dying. If you do what you know in hindsight you should have done, this feels like climbing into a time machine. <laughs> but if you do that, then there is no emergency. Success is when nothing happens. So success in this case would have been, heck, we should have shut down the moment the virus appeared in China in January, right? Just closed down the economy. And so we'd be sitting at home here. I'd be doing my show from home and uh, we'd be going for months and months while nobody was dying. And that's tough. Does he have a point to say, I'm a leader and I don't want people to panic. I'm a cheerleader for the country is what he's been saying. Well, uh, I understand that. At the same time, though, you don't lie just to protect yourself, if nothing else. So if you've been told by your intelligence people that this is, in fact, a contagious virus and it's very serious, at least come out and say that and then say, here's what we need to do right now, unless you want the economy to be shut down and then start setting up all the things you have to do. Mask wearing, of course, number one. Keeping a distance, uh, number two. Restaurants, right now, before it gets bad, start installing these things. And at least give people a chance to act on the truth, right? Trust them enough to to uh, take the bad news and do what it takes to make sure it doesn't get worse. And um, maybe next time, because there will be a next time, right? Mm-hmm. This is the problem. These things are spaced so far apart that we forget in between. I have a feeling if this comes back, if, God forbid, there's a whole new coronavirus that emerges next year, at that point we'll say, okay, remember 2020? We're not going to make the same mistake this time. We're not going to tell you to shut down everything, but we're going to say everybody must wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, we don't let you leave the house. You know, the, the cops will actually stop you and send you home. It was something like that. And let's give that a try. I think at this point we can probably trust people to listen the okay. next time. Ultimately, Dave, does any of this matter in the in the polls or, or in the election? Because as quickly as those audio tapes were released, the Republican talking points were were coming out and, and they were defending the president. The The press secretary yesterday said the president never lied to the American people. They bring up the fact that he instituted those travel restrictions from places like China and Europe early on, uh, which which is a fair argument. Um you know, we heard the president on, on Fox News last night with Sean Hannity. Um, does any of this matter? Or, or is this just another story that is making headlines this week and the next week there's another one? Well, that will always be the case. In an election, people will say whatever it takes to get elected. What I'm hoping is that for a life and death situation like this, we can transcend politics. Conservatives and liberals can agree that it's not good for what are we going to, we're going to approach 
two million people here mm-hmm. uh, to die prematurely, right? That's that's a bipartisan mm-hmm. issue. And now that we've been through it, now that we have firsthand experience, this goes beyond just people uh, trying to follow a certain political lifestyle. We now objectively know what keeps people alive. And so I'm hoping that the next time we would have, uh, you know, Donald Trump standing up there with uh, Barack Obama and, uh, I don't know, choose your leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, (laughs) all getting together and saying, everybody wear a mask. We agree on this. Normally, we hate each other, but on this, we want you to wear a mask, stay distant, uh, wash your hands. And once we get through this, we can get back to fighting. Now we can hope for days like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not holding my breath. I, I want to get your thoughts, though, on the criticism that's been leveled against uh, Bob Woodward, the journalist yes. himself. Uh, some say he sat on this information far too long, and if he came out sooner uh, with these tapes, perhaps lives could have been saved. Is is Did he have a, an ethical obligation to release those tapes sooner? Well, a lot of people think he did. A lot of uh, his journalistic colleagues think he did. Uh, certainly, had he been still actively on the staff of the Washington Post, he'd be in big trouble for mm. withholding what would have been a, a huge story. He says part of the reason was that he wasn't sure the president was telling the truth at the time. Eh, I'm not sure I buy that since the source of this was U.S. intelligence reports, you know, based on reports from how bad it was over uh, over in China. So, yeah, I, I would say as a journalist, there's an obligation when you when you know something that can affect that many people, you stand up and you say it. The problem he's got now is that he's obviously uh, flogging a book, and it very much looks like he withheld this so the timing would be right to sell his book right before the election. So that's going to be a problem for him. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it was a smart business decision on his part. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think is there's, there's there seems to be a, a social media backlash building yeah. where people are going to boycott the book because of the way he behaves. What do they say, that when he pre- any press is good press, right? Yeah, that stuff, right? Sometimes. Yeah, and I, I try to put myself in his position too. Like you're you're getting calls from the president, um, what, in, in March and yeah. ran at, t- at 18 interviews with the man, right? Uh, while he's trying to publish a book. Why would you release the information in March or April and risk not getting further information from the president when you know you have a book? Oh, I don't know, because you have a moral obligation to do (laughs) so. All right. Especially with this president. I don't don't think there there would have been a problem. I mean, maybe he was thinking, yeah, if I... This was on the record, but eh, it might displease him. He might not call me again. There's no chance that Trump stops calling you, right? <laughs> if you're if you're giving him publicity or you're taking him seriously, because he he clearly wants to be taken seriously by the top journalists, and you don't get higher than Bob Woodward. So if you've got that connection, um, why not use it? I mean, he's still the, the president still regularly calls on journalists in those press briefings who he knows are going to ask mean questions because he wants that. So I I don't think Woodward can say, oh, if I if I had burned him on this, he wouldn't have called me back because. Now, that phone would have kept ringing. Story that got a lot of publicity earlier this week took place in Seattle uh, at Gasworks Park. So there was this, uh, what what do we want to call it, a, a, a worship protest <laughs> that was taking place at Gasworks in Seattle. But the city decided to close it down because the person behind this event, his name is Sean Fuchs, and he had held a similar rally at Cal Anderson Park a few weeks prior where people were not wearing masks and the the city said that they wanted to not have the same thing happen at Gasworks. Right. Um, Sean Fuchs, though, he was on Fox News uh, and he called the city 
hypocritical for allowing other protests to take place outdoors. The city focused their energy on our peaceful worship and prayer rally in Gasworks Park. They barricaded the whole park. They put fences around it. I don't even know how many, how much tax dollars was wasted on that. And uh, we're blocking us out from gathering to worship. And he claims this was discrimination against Christians. There's just a bias. You know, there it's the height of hypocrisy right now that they're letting these cities, you know, uh, succumb to rioting and burning and pillaging. And yet they're targeting Christians. Well, he sort of has a point there. I mean, the city does allow people to gather for demonstrations, and they clearly close the park to keep Sean Fuked out. His uh, movement is called Hold the Line, and uh, yeah, they they don't like these restrictions. But here's the thing about Sean Fuked. As you mentioned, he held an event at Carol Anderson Park, which was unmasked. He also held a previous event, much larger one, in Sacramento, California where people were unmasked and singing. These are two of the worst things you can do when uh, you're trying to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And so he had a history. There was a reason that Seattle Parks and Recreation would target him as opposed to the demonstrations, which are tough to target because many times they're not announced where they're going to go. Now, I I suppose you could say that no good deed goes unpunished. Here he was telling people he was going to set this up ahead of time. The city could have said, "Um, all right, we're allowing, for example, my own parish, St. James. St. James is now going back to in-person masses. They have to limit it to 200 people. You have to sign up ahead of time. And uh, there are all sorts of restrictions that they follow. So the city could have said the same thing to Fuchs. Okay, you can hold your vented gas works if you uh, isolate, if you keep keep six feet, if you mask up, if you don't sing in each other's faces, and uh, then it might have gone on. But apparently they decided, and I'm not sure who is making the decision, whether it's Fuchs who's being defiant or the city who's just being stubborn. But one way or the other, they didn't think that Fuchs, because of his history, would have obeyed that. So maybe it's time, uh, if he wants to do this again, to sit down with whoever hands out the permits for using the parks and come to some sort of agreement. This can't be that difficult. I mean, there are ways to worship without risking another infection event. I understand, Aaron, that as as it happened, they ended up, what, walking down the street in the big yeah, crowd? exactly. So that's, I mean... That's, That's worse. not much better. <laughs> no, it's, it's worse. Fact, it was it's worse. It's crowded, yeah. Because now you're going through right through the neighborhoods, yeah. uh, potentially spreading the virus. So this is one of those things where people have to sit down and talk it out. So you don't buy his argument that the city is only targeting religion? No, because the Christianity is clearly not being discriminated against. Nobody tells me how to worship in this city. Nobody tells anybody how to worship in this city. Uh, you can hold services, but... If you're being responsible, now that we know all that we know, you don't go around massing people in crowds, at least until there's a vaccine. We'll be back with you next Thursday to discuss the latest coronavirus news. You can subscribe to this podcast, and you can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.